Welcome to another episode of Sailor Snacking, the podcast where we talk about the 1990s Sailor Moon anime and have a yummy snack. I'm Jen, and as always, I'm joined by Tracy. Hello, listeners. <laughs> uh, and Tracy, why don't you tell us about what we're going to have this week for our snack? So this week, we are going to try Dalgona Coffee. So hashtag Dalgona Coffee Challenge. It was really popular at the height of the quarantine lockdown uh, because of all the really easy ingredients it takes to make this drink. And so the challenge was to make it look like very light and fluffy, like a topping. But um, I'm sad to say that mine doesn't look like that. Oh, well. (laughs) Mine kind of looked like that, but I think I put too much milk in it. (laughs) (laughs) And Karina, the picture of, uh, oh, I should introduce Karina, Um, our special (laughs) guest returning uh, from episode two. You can go back to episode two to hear all about her history of Sailor Moon and why she loves this anime so much. Uh, But we have Karina coming back. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me again. (laughs) Uh, And I was going to say, Karina, your uh, Dalgona, uh, you had the matcha tea. Uh, The picture you sent, it was really, really fluffy, wasn't it? Oh, it was. It was so much fun to make. So I'm really (laughs) excited to try it out. Yeah. Uh, All right. So we will get right into our episodes today. Today we are going to talk about episodes 15 and 16. uh, And that, again, is the uh, Japanese numbering system, not the uh, dub version. So episode 15 is Usagi's Panic, Ray's First Date. Uh, and episode 16 is A Girl's Dream, Usagi Becomes a Bride. I have a lot to say about Usagi's first date, or uh, Usagi's Panic Ray's first date. (laughs) That was a fun episode. So this is the episode where um, (laughs) there's a beautiful park that Ami knows about, and um, Ray decides that before the park, the park is about to be destroyed, and Ray decides that before the park is destroyed, she needs to have a date there. Of course. <laughs> She's not concerned about the fate of the park as much as I need to have a date before it's destroyed. Um, <laughs> I liked this episode. I thought that it was it was uh, funny and it has uh, a lot more of uh, Mamoru in it. But uh, Tracy, what did you think about this episode? Um, I just thought it was really hilarious. It just really highlights how boy crazy Usagi and Ray are. And... That it's a really interesting contrast with Ami, who's just like, I just come to this park to read books. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really starting to see their characters develop and how they work together, especially in this episode. Um, Ami really takes control of this one, right? Because this is her park and she really cares about it. Um, mm. And she, you see that when she's the first person to transform in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Karina, what did you think about this episode? I really enjoyed this episode. It was just, it had so much going for it. I loved the back and forth uh, between Usagi and Ray. And I just thought the date was just so adorably awkward. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Amaro even knew it was a date. He was just like, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which made it even more awkward. It was just such a great episode. It had so much. And I also really enjoyed how protective that Ray was over Mamoru on the date when she realized that things were going on. It was just, it was a great episode, great villain. Um, uh, I could talk all day about Nephrite. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, 
So some of the things that I was, uh, I just rewatched this one and I was making a couple of notes, but um, this episode and the next episode, I think kind of shows, and I mean, I guess the cruise episode does too, but it really kind of emphasizes Ray's kind of manipulative nature that she's like, I know what, well, manipulative is maybe too strong a word, but it's like, I know what I want and I'm going to do what I need to, to get to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whether you think that's a pro or a con, I think that these two episodes really emphasize it. My favorite part of the entire episode was when Ray is planning how she's going to run into Momoro. And then her, her like internal dialogue was, she's just like, oh my goodness, did I hurt you? Let me treat you to a coffee to make up for it. Um, but the reality is she trips, she falls, and Momoru steps on her head. <laughs> and she still uses the same, the same script. Dialogue. She's like... I'm going to go for it. <laughs> and Memora was like, care. Uh, what? <laughs> it makes no sense, but it still works for her. She's like, this is a plan and I'm sticking to it. And I like even before that, where she's like, hmm, Memora's kind of hot. I need to know more about him. So she like grills Motoki about it. It's like, so you guys are in college, huh? And you, this is where we find out a little bit more about Memora's mm-hmm. past. That he lives alone in an expensive condo when he's rich. And that that's the cincher for Ray. She's like, that's it. I'm going after him. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, she was interested before she knew that. That was just icing on the cake for her. Well, yeah. And also, in all fairness, if, you know, I heard that about a guy that I thought was hot, I would go for it, too. So, like, really, I don't blame her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. Hot guy who also lives alone in an expensive condo when he's rich? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Go Not for much it. to dislike there, except as Momoro. But we also kind of see in this episode the the first hint of him not being an asshole when he saves Luna. Yes, that is true. And I mean, we know all along that he's tuxedo mask and he's not really an asshole, but this is Memoru not being an asshole. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't seem to know that he's tuxedo mask at this point, as we see a little bit more of that, too, later in the episode. Mm hmm. But it's really funny because Ray's convinced that he's tuxedo mask. I know. Ray totally calls it. (laughs) So episode 15 is when Ray calls it. And we don't find out that he actually is tuxedo mask until close to the end of season one. Right. Yeah. I think in episode, I think it's episode eight. She mentions it. She's like, doesn't he kind of look like tuxedo mask? (laughs) But I don't think she's coming to that conclusion so much that she genuinely thinks he is as in as so much as she wants him to be. Yeah, Yeah. I guess that's true. But it's like episodes 33 or 34 when we actually find out that he's tuxedo mask. So, I mean, she calls it pretty ahead of the game, whether she's doing it because of her own selfish reasons, like she really wants him to be or, you know, she actually can sense it. Can I just say, though, as mean as Ray is and controlling and manipulative, especially over Soggy, I kind of feel for her a bit because she comes in and already has all these great skills and she has to defer to Soggy as Sailor Moon, who really isn't confident in what she's doing. And then the boy she likes ends up being (laughs) her soulmate. (laughs) So I feel like she kind of got the short end of the stick a bit there. Yeah, yeah, and totally. I, I think that it actually speaks really highly to Ray's character that even though she does have this going against her at the beginning, when it is revealed who Mamoru is, she's able to put it aside and be like, okay, you know, it's not going to happen. Let's move forward and 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 support them as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, 
as much as I rag on on Ray for how she acts, I do think that she does she does have a very very strong and kind personality, like all of them do. It's just like yeah. we discussed in another episode that her relationship with Usagi is more of like a sister than a mm-hmm. friend. So and you're a little bit harder on your sister. <laughs> And I think um, something that we touched on the last episode that I was on as well, too, I believe, was that, you know, Ray really has had a bit of a much tougher life than Serena. Like, Serena clearly comes from a loving family. She comes from a wealthy family. Um, Usagi is able to be nice and warm because she hasn't really had, she's able to still act like a child because she essentially still is. Whereas for Ray, mm-hmm. she's a child that has had a lot of responsibility on her shoulders. So I get why her bark is so much worse than her bite. Yeah, definitely. But I also think that she, by the time we get to the point where we find out that um, Usagi and Mamoru are destined to be together, uh, Ray also develops like a little bit more kindness, so to say, to Usagi. Whereas mm-hmm. like if she found out like maybe in the next episode that they were meant to be together, maybe she wouldn't have taken that really well. <laughs> She'd be like, what? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. And I think bet- between, I know I might be wrong in the timeline, but I think between uh, before they find out that they're supposed to be together, Usagi and Mamoru, doesn't Ray also fall for, um, in the dub, his name I think is Chad, but Yuchiko, Yuchiro, the other guy, or is that after? I can't remember. I feel like it's after. I think it's after. He's around for a while. Is it after? Okay. We will get to that point eventually in this uh, podcast. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that character. I'm excited to get to him. Yeah. So the other thing I really enjoyed about this episode, there's so many good points, is Usagi uh, discovering that Ray has an interest in Mamoru, and he says she's too old for he's too old for her. Uh-huh. My handbook speaks against these types of relationships. <laughs> she's so funny, <laughs> and yet she's chasing after Motoki, who's the same age. <laughs> But I don't think it's about following the rules. It's just about someone else is doing something oh, yeah. <laughs> that she doesn't stand Luna for. totally calls her on it. She's like, you're just jealous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Umino gets dragged along for the ride because Usagi's trying to use his him to uh, spy on Rei and Mamoru. And when we watched this episode, Karina, we had a bit of a discussion about how I was like, oh, I kind of feel bad for Umino. And then uh, you... You were like, nah. <laughs> no, he's just been such a little twerp and such a jerk to all the females in his life at the school that we've seen him interact with that, no, I'm okay with him being treated like that. I feel like that's fair. <laughs> he is like yeah. a little creep. And we'll see that again yeah. in the next episode. Um, where I don't know what, where he gets his intel on everyone. It's just like, who does, like, he just well, seems we- like a stalker. He's so creepy. <laughs> We know he stalks his teacher, so right. I don't think it's much of a stretch to say he's stalking his female classmates. Oh, he's stalking yeah. everybody. It's creepy, creepy. It's, it's yeah. So, I don't know. I don't feel bad for Umino at all. Nope. No. <laughs> no, once Karina reminded me about all that, I was like, oh, right. Because I still, especially these early episodes, I'm still having a hard time disassociating it from uh, the North American version that I watched as a teenager where he wasn't that creepy. He was just the nerdy guy. Mm-hmm. and But he he wasn't this big of a creep. So yeah, definitely in this version, yeah. It's really interesting to see 
how the female characters, so Rei and Usagi, are able to manipulate the male characters um, mm-hmm. in this episode. Uh, so you see a lot of that, where Usagi's just kind of like, hey, do you have money? Let's go on a date, right? <laughs> and so yeah. she's able to like manipulate Umino to do whatever she wants because she needs him to... She needs him for something, right? And in this case, it was money. And to not be alone when she's trying to spy on Ray, on Ray and Mamoru. Right? I love that her first instinct is, I'm going to transform into a waitress. And Luna's like, no, no, you can't. <laughs> I love the misuse of the disguise pen there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Total abuse of power. <laughs> Which is also, I feel, in character of a 14-year-old girl. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is a good episode. Um, it was so good. It made and me then, really. It, so one thing I was really wondering about is about public parks in Japan. Like, why is this park being torn down, and why is it butterflies that's enough to stop this park from being torn oh, yeah. down? I wrote super destructive butterflies with an exclamation point. <laughs> like, what's like? I, I, what is with these butterflies? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know about the park system in Japan. I don't, I would assume, and this is a total assumption, <clears throat> that it's not like uh, it is here in Canada where we have, you know, like government protective and municipal protected parks. I feel like the land is more privately owned. But again, I could be way off. So if anybody is listening to this and knows, please let us know um, how the park system seems to work in Japan. So I did like a little research on that. Oh, awesome. And <laughs> so, um, there are 34 national parks and 56 quasi-national parks in Japan. Uh, but I guess some of them are kind of like our provincial or national parks where you have to like kind of pay for parking or admission to get in. Um, but other than that, sort of like their parks and shady places, a lot of them are associated with temples. Um, so mm-hmm. that's, you know, privately owned not privately, but like owned by the temples that that land is on, right? Yeah. And it sounded like whoever this developer was was just holding on to this piece of land until it was worth enough to like put up a building. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that does make sense because there is a, well, I guess, I don't want to say very large, but a sizable forest that seems to be around Ray's Shrine. And I know in future episodes, there's monster attacks in them and, you know, you're lost in the trees. So I guess they have a, a chunk of land. Mm-hmm. And the first public park was um, Tokyo's Ueno Park. And that opened in 1873. Which with a, a country with so much history, it feels like a very new concept for them. Mm-hmm. Public parks. So I just want to talk a little bit about the monster. Because I, I really mm-hmm. love the designs of all the monsters in Sailor Moon. And we are mm-hmm. now more than ever getting away from the shady monster and into something definitely more thematic. So I guess that Jedi's monsters were more monster and Nephrite's monsters are more theme based. So this one we have um, like a plant monster. I think her name, wait, her name's on this website somewhere. Petasos. Petasos? Petasos? Petasos. Yeah. Petasos? Like uh, petals, I think. 
according to this website, is a pedasos was a broad-brimmed hat commonly worn by travelers and hunters in ancient Greece. That's weird. Anyway, so uh, definitely plant-based, uses her powers to, uh, definitely has like vine-based attacks, definitely looks like a plant. Um, And it's really great that she attacks with just Sailor Moon and Sailor Mercury there. Because, I mean, if anybody plays any kind of video games, you know that the one thing that defeats plants is fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it takes until Mars shows up to uh, set them free. Yeah, I feel like Mercury is just going to kind of water the plant there. <laughs> well, she uses, like, the bubble spray to, like, confuse. Th- that, I feel, is the only thing she does. She just confuses people, like the <laughs> monsters. Oh what yeah, I can't helps. I can't find I can't find those girls while they like try to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. Mm. Yep. But I think that's yeah. useful and I mean her strength isn't necessarily fighting, so getting that diversion created so she can buy that time to come up with that plan. It makes sense. It yeah. does, yeah. And yeah. she kinda she also uses it to stop the butterflies and the squirrels from attacking. Oh my god, the squirrels attacking Luna made me laugh so hard. poor luna (laughs) those like squirrels were really small because luna's a small cat and then there were so many of those squirrels attacking her maybe they're more like chipmunks yeah i don't know if all squirrels around the world are the same size as the squirrels we have here i guess that's true yeah somebody google japanese squirrels (laughs) (laughs) what did we do before google yeah i know Uh, and I also think that in this episode, it's really interesting seeing that um, when Usagi transforms, the very next scene that they cut to is Mamoru having a reaction. And yes. I, I wasn't sure if it was a reaction to Usagi transforming or a reaction to the negative, the evil energy. I like to think that it was a reaction to Usagi transforming. And that's oh. our first in-show kind of idea that maybe he is Tuxedo Mask. That's a yes. great question. It was, I mean, I found that really interesting that we do see that he's going through something. But yeah, that's a great question. Like, is it because there's danger or is it because she's transformed? Oh, I love that question. Because <laughs> I don't see, I don't think we get too many other uh, Memoru reaction type shots. Uh, like him uh, not, like, either transforming or not sure how to transform. Mm-hmm. I so, like to think it's because of Usagi. <laughs> all right. So, spoiler alert, but we know that he gets taken over later on by Queen Beryl. Yeah. So, if he's reacting to her transforming, I feel like we'd get a hint of that then. So, something to look out for. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this is a great episode. Uh, do we have any other comments we want to make on this before we get into our snack? I'll just say again, I love this episode. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good. I yeah, it was full of a lot of really interesting things and a lot of pieces that become important later on. So mm-hmm. it's a very yeah. important episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, I mean, I haven't really watched the series since it was aired in North America in the '90s. So this episode was one I did remember fairly well and remember quite a bit of it so I think it speaks a lot to it that it was so memorable 20 plus years later Mm -hmm. all right well we will have uh, a little bit of a break now between episodes to have our snack 
So we're going to throw it back to our past selves to go over our review um, of our set act. So take it away past us. Thanks, future us. Today we're having a delicious coffee milk type drink called Dalgona, right? Dalgona coffee. Yes. Yes. So Tracy, do you want to tell us about how you discovered this and why we're drinking it? Okay, so Dalgona Coffee, it became like an internet sensation right at the beginning of the pandemic. So when everyone was in lockdown, um, this was just a recipe that was like making its way through the internet by storm. I think it's because it's really easy to make at home. There's like three basic ingredients, hot water, sugar, and instant coffee. And like, who doesn't have that at home? Um, And the first person to kind of make it really popular was a South Korean actor, Jung Il Woo, uh, and he made a video and then started the Dalgona Challenge because it is quite a challenge to make your drink look as fluffy and delicious as some of the internet photos. Uh, so there's also a lot of memes online where it's like the, the failed it attempt to make these drinks. So the reason why it's called Dalgona coffee is because it resembles a honeycomb toffee that's very popular in South Korea. Uh, It kind of looks like the inside of a crunchy bar to make it like really kind of relevant. And it's just the toffee. So that's that's called Dalgona toffee, which is very popular in uh, South Korea, apparently, which we can't really go and taste it because everything's still kind of in lockdown but eventually one day (laughs) yes hopefully by the time this episode airs in like september um because it's june right now we will be able to travel again fingers crossed (laughs) yeah so we uh yeah. yeah genevieve and i decided to make the traditional the coffee version and karina made the matcha I did. Yeah. When Genevieve was telling me about it, she had a hunch that I would enjoy the matcha and I've actually been wanting to try to make some matcha drinks and I was really excited to try this. And I actually had all of the ingredients at home already, which was pretty neat. (laughs) I had to have Tracy drop off some instant coffee because I don't have coffee or matcha. Um, I'm more of a black tea drinker, so I didn't have any other caffeine yet today. Um, because I worried that if I had my regular caffeine in the morning and then had this too, I'd go into like hummingbird mode and there'd be no stopping me. <laughs> mm, that's a good... It's a lot of instant coffee that goes into this. So when you think about, you do a couple, maybe like one or two teaspoons of instant coffee to make your coffee, this is two tablespoons. So it's quite a bit. Yeah, but that covers more than one drink. Like I don't, I didn't put all of the foam into this one. That's I true. also think I... I also think I put in way more milk than I was supposed to because it seems like it's more milk than coffee. Um, there will be pictures on our Instagram if you want to see what these concoctions look like. Uh, but I guess let's give it a taste. Ready? Yep. <laughs> All right, go for it. Oh, I'm a fan. It's super, super coffee-like at the top. Mm. So I mixed mine with almond milk, and it's quite good. I mixed mine with lactose-free milk. <laughs> I did oat milk. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like the pictures make it look like the coffee is really sitting on top um, to make it like look aesthetically pleasing. But I think I have to mix this to really enjoy it because the 
the topping, the Dalgona part, is very, very coffee um, like. It's very strong. Yeah, I know. I wish I'd brought a spoon with me because I think giving it a good mix would help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do agree. I mean, mine is kind of mixed together as it sat here, but definitely it's more enjoyable. I will admit as well, too, I'm not a huge fan of iced coffee. I do prefer mine hot, so I did actually heat up the oat milk. So it's almost become kind of a latte, which I'm really enjoying. I've been wanting to actually find a recipe for a vegan matcha latte for a while. So this is, yeah, I'm a fan. Um, Oh, I did have to, in all... um, transparency i did have to get the matcha so shout out to bulk barn and their curbside pickup that i was able to get the exact amount that i needed awesome <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah no it's it's pretty good like i like you were saying i think i put ice in mine because that's what the picture had um which keeps it nice and cold uh it is a little too coffee strong for me i don't mind coffee but i'm not a coffee drinker so strong coffee is just strong and i put a little bit more sugar in mine because i thought that that was going to happen but um, yeah, I think if I'm trying to swish it around to give it a bit of a stir, but it's not really working so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for for the matcha, it was really interesting. It's not actually very sweet. So the recipe that I used, uh, I said, add a sweetener of your choice. And the one that they said that they had used was monk fruit. So I didn't have any monk fruit, but I did have maple syrup. So I added a bit to the oat milk because I had an unsweetened one, uh, and then is a little, and then a little bit to the actual whip. But I was a little concerned that I was going to make the aquafaba whip a little too runny if I added too much maple syrup. So I think I might try next time finding some kind of a dry sweetener to add. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the coffee, um, it was basically just equal parts uh, coffee, sugar, and uh, hot water. And then you pour it over the milk. But uh, how did you have to make yours, Karina? Uh, So mine was um, two steps, second step being quite easy. Um, So the first step was actually taking a can of chickpeas and draining it. So it was actually the chickpea juice that I added just a quarter teaspoon of tartar to. And I whipped that up just like you would to make a meringue or whipped cream uh, for about seven, eight minutes. And then once that was all set, at that point, I added the matcha in and then just a little bit of maple syrup to taste. So that's when it became green. And then the second step was just literally putting it on top of the heated up oat milk. So it's delicious. I'm a huge fan. And this is definitely going to be, I need to get more matcha. Yeah, I think I might try it with matcha. Mm. I don't think it'll be as caffeinated, which is good because I've already had two big cups of coffee today. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. Also, like, um, I'm thinking that this, um, the aquafaba, can, I don't know, for me, sounded kind of scary, because that's usually the part of the chickpea stuff that I throw away. <laughs> I'm like, same, <laughs> same. <laughs> I've been wanting to play around with aquafaba for a while. There's actually a lot of really neat uses for it. So it was really neat to try, and it was actually really super easy, and I have to figure out what I'm going to do with those chickpeas now. Ooh, you should roast them. Make oven-roasted chickpeas. I love oven roasted chickpeas. This is making me want to try the matcha even more because then not only do I get the matcha drink, I also get oven roasted Mm. chickpeas. Mm -hmm. I I will also say I was really impressed with how cost effective this recipe was. I mean, I was able to get the exact amount of matcha I needed at Bulk Barn, which is fantastic. Uh, The chickpeas, I mean, if you can find them in the store, (laughs) they're not expensive. And the tartar, I already had that at home and it was such a small quantity. So again... You could probably just get it in bulk barn if you just need a small quantity. So that's why I think they call it the quarantine coffee. 
Because it's all like things that you can really find at home to make them. Mm-hmm. Another thing that was really popular when these videos were coming out were making the ASMR like sound effects while watching the DIY videos. So yeah, that wonderful sound of mixing. <laughs> um, while I was making this, I did like a little video of my Arochino uh, frother going, and it's a very calming sort of sound to make these drinks. <laughs> Oh, I just had the regular old hand mixer out, so yeah, it so was did a I. little noisy. That wasn't that calming. <laughs> Although, I got to say that I got that hand mixer when I got married about five years ago. And I haven't used it since we started recording this podcast. And now I've used it, I think, three times. So. <laughs> I was actually thinking while I was making the whip that the only time I've gotten my hand mixer out this year is for you ladies for the podcast. Yeah, so... <laughs> Good job picking snacks, Tracy, that uh, let us use tools that we have had sitting in our kitchen forever. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) All right. So that is Dalgona. And I guess uh, we will throw it back to our future selves to continue with our Sailor Moon review. Take it away, future us. All right. Thanks, past us. Uh, So that was our delicious uh, Dalgona treat. And, um, I need more milk in mine because I just have like coffee sludge at the bottom. <laughs> did you guys finish your drinks? Yep, mine's I did. all good. So yeah. delicious. All right. So, our next episode that we're going to talk about is uh, episode 16 A Girl's Dream Usagi Becomes a Bride. This one was not as memorable as the previous one. Yeah. I mean, it was okay, but I was like, meh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't think... like a huge fan of this one. Not really like not too much happens in this one. Not really. I mean, I feel like I liked it as a teenager because there were pretty wedding dresses, but you know, at this point in my life, I'm so used to seeing those. <laughs> <laughs> Had more than one, you know. Yeah. It's so like this, I don't know, the dresses episode... are so weird and fluffy. Yeah. So this episode is um <clears throat> Nephrite decides to target uh, Usagi's home economics teacher and uh, get her to peak energy at a homemade wedding dress contest, which is not a Dark Kingdom scheme. This is a wacky contest that is a genuine wacky contest that Nephrite mm-hmm. just kind of usurps, which I was yeah. like, huh? Huh? Yeah. Learning from Jedi's mistakes? <laughs> well, yeah, it is kind of weird. Because I, I did note that in my notes. Like, he didn't come up with the scheme. He just kind of landed into it. He's kind of mm-hmm. thinking on his feet, I think. He's, like, looking at what's happening around him before making some decisions, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, way to go, Nephrite. You're actually, like, thinking. Mm-hmm. He's very, he's very smart compared to Jedi. I yes. mean, even with his fake names, right? <laughs> God, Maxfield Stanton. I love that name. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's the worst English name ever, like Maxfield. Um, yeah, so this one we talked about it a little bit before, but Umino's got his creepy stalker book where he's been writing notes about all his teachers and who knows what else. Uh-huh. Or is he like Harriet the spy? No, she was cool. <laughs> We like her. <laughs> but she used to write little stories about everyone in her notebook. Remember that? She but he, wasn't lifting up her teacher's skirt. 
Yeah, okay, never mind. <laughs> and taking pictures of her teacher working out. Yeah. <laughs> but and then like, making judgmental emails. comments about how his teacher is 34 years old and single. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. She made, like, so I just remember the movie Harriet the Spy. And she made, like, comments about her, like, best friend being poor. So, and they were really judgmental. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that then. I don't think yeah. I've actually seen Harriet the Spy. I read the books. I don't know if I read the books either. I think that I was reading different books at that time. I've never really been into, like, mystery-type books. So any kind of, like, spy or anything, I was just like, meh. Um, so I don't even think I read them. Yeah, she's... Well, like, she wants to be a writer. And that's why she's writing about everyone she sees. Whereas Umino is just, like... He doesn't want to be a writer. He's just a creep. He's like, yeah, yeah, keeping tabs on people. But still, it's kind of similar. <laughs> he just has no friends for a reason. Yes. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, not a whole lot happens in this episode. It's it's cute. Um, I The part that I'm going to have to talk about, and this is going to probably get into a slightly bigger discussion, was the suave, sweet-talking, sexy nephrite where he's wooing her to buy that silk and she's all blushy and I'm like oh yep there's Nephrite as his most seductive yes <laughs> yeah there were uh, a lot of comments when we were watching this Genevieve from me about how much I like Nephrite yeah. but even like the music that kind of like comes up when he's around it's kind of like seductive like he that's mm-hmm. he's preying on people that way right oh yeah it's just working oh, yeah. Yeah, he but knows like he's sexy. He, he wraps himself up in the in the silk, and he's like, "Ooh, I see you wearing this, and you look gorgeous." And I'm like, "Well, that might be a little creepy." Well, they're all it's all creepy, but yeah, they're two consenting adults. I'm okay with it. <laughs> She's <laughs> so, into <yeah>. it. <laughs> She's into it for sure. Well, because this, there's not a whole lot of important stuff that happens in this uh, episode, let's take this moment to uh, talk about the male villains in Sailor Moon. Um, so while we were watching this, Karina and I watched these episodes together, uh, and then we record the podcast later. But um, I was, we were having this discussion about who's the sexiest uh, Sailor Moon villain. Now, um, we are going to just look at the male villains, because um, we are all, and I hope I use the right term, we are all cis female. That's the correct term, right? Uh, well, cis is... I think, yeah, I think you're using the right one there because that's basically straight, correct? Yeah. Yes. I think okay. so. And if if you're not, then, you know, that's okay, too. <laughs> um, so I was looking mostly at the male Sailor Moon villains for that reason. Um, if you have a ranking of sexy Sailor Moon villains that includes the females, fantastic. Go for it. There are a lot more female villains than there are males. So over the entire span of Sailor Moon, I counted 12 male villains. Um, and I took out uh, <clears throat> Prince Endymion because he's basically Tuxedo Mask. So I didn't count him. Um, so we've got the four kingdoms of heaven, or kings of heaven, Jedi, Nephrite, Zoysite, and Kunzite. Uh, in season two, we've got Alan, the alien. And then we have Prince Diamond, Sapphire, and Rubius. And then in season three, we have Dr. Tomoe. And then in season four, we have Fisheye, Tiger's Eye, and Hawk's Eye. And then there aren't any males in season five, any male villains. Uh, and we're not talking about the like monsters and one-offs. We're just talking about the actual 
recurring villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did you guys put your villains in an order? Do you want to just do like your top five? I just have a top one. You just have a top one? <laughs> <laughs> but I think the top one for all of us is the same. It is. Yeah, like, you know, Nephrite has got it going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's the rock star of villains. <laughs> I think it's the that. hair. Yeah, yeah, it's the hair and the swagger. And the smolder. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And he drives that sports car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he drives sure does. it everywhere. And then, like, his, his, like, human outfit is very much, like, he's a player. Right? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, he doesn't really need to drive that car. I assume that he has other transportation coming from, what is it, the Megaverse? Um, so... Yeah, he, just like he just, bounding over fences, right? That's like what he does. Yeah, he <laughs> wants the other to be villains just teleport, right? They just zap yeah. back and forth. So, <laughs> yeah, my top five had all had four of the princes of heaven. Had Nephrite, or three of them. Sorry, I had Nephrite, Kunzite, and then number three was Sapphire, then Prince Diamond, and then Jedite. Those were my top five. Oh, Jedite, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Jedi was a little bit of a pushover for me. I know. He was always just sucking up to Queen Barrel and just didn't work for me. Mm. I'm mostly going by looks. I see. <laughs> I don't know. I it's, like like, I... it's so hard to go by looks in this anime. Uh, the characters aren't really super defined in any way. Yeah. They're very, very generic and poorly drawn, I think, almost. It's like, it's very manga style. Whereas yeah. there are some animes where the animation is, like, really good. Like, it's it looks really good. It's very aesthetically pleasing. But this one is drawn like a, almost like a North American cartoon. <laughs> it's very comically looking. Yeah, well, the... I guess that's probably true for all of the villains is that it's more um, the focus is definitely more on the hair on the heroes than the villains. But I mean, even the heroines are not like they're they're Well, they're a little bit different. Like they've got different um, heights and different hairstyles and stuff like that. But, you know, if you strip them down to their bare bones, they're all about the same, like the same build, the same face, the same that kind of stuff. Same features. I did make that one distinction that Ray is significantly more developed in the bust than the other girls. Yeah, and then I felt creepy looking at her bust the whole time to be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's true, though. Like, I never noticed it watching as a teen, but I noticed it now. Which I think it was just another thing to just <laughs> emphasize that she was a little bit more mature than Serena. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I really just like Nephrite. I mean, the other, the other, uh villains from season one like they were I remembered them but they just didn't make an impression like Nephrite did I mean he just had the whole package and the other villains they were pretty I kind of forgotten about most of them outside of season one like I completely forgotten about Alan from season two I mean I don't remember disliking him then but don't they kind of become good at the end sort of a little bit the Alan and Anne arc was made specifically for the anime. It's not in the manga at all. It was just made mm. because they needed to wait for uh, Naoko Takeuchi to catch up. So they're like, uh, we'll throw in an alien thing. So it's 
kind of like a filler that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I really like, I guess in the Japanese version, Kunzite. Kunzite, yeah. Yeah, in the North American version, his name was Malachite. And he was he was pretty badass. Yeah, that's why he was my number two. <laughs> I mean, they all they're I mean they're all villains, so like none of them are going to be the good guy. But uh, yeah, as a, as a person who normally like really likes villains, <laughs> um, they're just not really flushed out. I think in Sailor Moon compared the to male villain the male villains not as much i think that the the emphasis like the emphasis is on a female hero the emphasis is more on female villains as well because like i the, definitely yeah. i like definitely queen barrel is badass right yes if mm-hmm. we're talking about the most badass sailor moon villain it's hands down galaxia if you haven't gotten that far but it is <laughs> uh, but after that it would probably be barrel um because they are they're they're evil, but they're still that very strong female character, and uh, it's really good to have that in this show because you have the strong female hero to to face off with the strong female villain, and I think it, it's kind of a nicer mesh. Uh, do we want to talk a bit more about this episode? But there was much more to say about it, to be honest. It was, I, I mean, I remember enjoying it as a teen because it was just filled with things that I enjoyed that now I look back and it's just, it doesn't interest me because it just kind of feels shallow and silly, like wanting to yeah. learn to sew a wedding dress overnight when you don't know the first thing about sewing. Like, it's just not realistic. Yeah, but that that was kind of, that, that kind of adds to the humor of this episode because it's like mm-hmm. Ray trying to, Inviting herself into Usagi's home to talk her mom into helping her sew, and then they both crack up because Usagi's mom cannot sew, and Ray gets mad. Um, and then Usagi going to Ami and being like, "Teach me how to sew," and her plopping down a giant stack of books and being like, first you need to learn the basics." Yeah, so, um, I love the part where she sneaks, where Usagi sneaks into her mom's bedroom and tries to steal the curtains yeah. <laughs> to like make into a wedding dress. It's too funny. <laughs> And then her mom was like, "You can use the curtains, but I'm going to dock you three months out sal- or three months uh, allowance." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like it, we it, get to see uh, Usagi's mom a lot in this episode, and it's really mm-hmm. she's really an interesting character, and we don't get to see enough of her, I think, because mm-hmm. she's kind of like a sassy mom who's like she's not the typical homemaker, even though she's a stay-at-home mom. Like, she buys her cakes. She's not going to spend her time making them. And she doesn't know how to sew. So she's, like, she's really cool, I think. I also think that Usagi is a lot more like her mom than we kind of let on, like, than we realize, because we don't see Mm -hmm. too much of of, uh, Ikoku. That's her mom. Like, maybe the reason that she bought the cake was because, like Usagi, she's not very good at baking. And, you know... The reason she doesn't sew is, you know, like Usagi, she's just not very good at sewing. So, I mean, there might be a closer relationship between mother and daughter than we know about. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's very cute. <laughs> yeah. It, it, is, it is cute. I think you're right. Like, they are a bit more like, and it makes sense as well, too. I mean, Usagi doesn't know how to do those things if her mom hasn't taught her because her mom doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then 
the monster in this is uh, just a spider lady. And we're getting closer to the formula that comes up in later episodes where it's sexy lady as a blank. Like, that's what mm. the monster is. Mm-hmm. So this time it's sexy lady as a spider. Um, no. Yeah. But she wasn't even like she didn't even stand out as a very good monster compared to like even the monster from the last episode and other monsters we've had. It's just kind of a boring episode. Not a whole lot to it. Yeah. yeah. And there isn't a lot that you, we see in this episode that's really important in the in the future. Right? No. No, it's like, true. This like, episode, there really isn't any character development. There's really no development with the villains. Yeah, it totally could have been skipped. Uh, yeah, so sorry to end on a kind of a bummer of an episode. This, but the next one should be good. Uh, what's the next episode? Let me look it up. It the was next episode a, we've got. It was hmm? at least a pretty episode. We got to look yes. at Nephrite and we got to look at pretty dresses. So visually, it was good. Yes. Uh, and when the home ec teacher kind of turned badass, it reminded me of Pat Benatar in the Love is a Battlefield video. Yes, that's exactly yeah, not I just was me. getting. Thank you. Yeah, I can not issue. <laughs> I even Googled Pat Benatar. I'm like, is that what she actually looks like? And it's like, oh, no, it's just obviously that video. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's it for Sailor Snacking for this week. Um, our next two episodes are going to be 17 and 18. Usagi's a model, the flash of the monster camera, and Shingo's love, the grieving doll. Oh, I remember that one. That one's a cute one. Yeah. Um, and uh, do we know what our snack is going to be next time, Tracy? So next week, on a request of our special guest, we're going to have bubble tea. Ooh, bubble mm-hmm. tea. Mm-hmm. I haven't had bubble tea in forever. Yep. Well, then you get to have it next week. <laughs> Yay. Yay. This is why I guys... enjoy. That's why I enjoy the premise of this show so much. I get all sorts of yummy snacks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any final thoughts you want to say before we end? Uh, I'll just say thank you again for having me. I, it's, I've really enjoyed rewatching the show with you, Genevieve. Just reminds me of, fond memories from high school and it just thank you again for having me on the podcast yeah well we were definitely having you back again i think we've already booked you for another one. Oh yes <laughs> i'm in all right well thank you everybody for listening um you can find us on instagram at sailor snacking um you can find us on facebook right now we're still piggybacking off of the true north nerds facebook so uh look us up at true north nerds uh also truenorthnerds.com and if you want to email us about anything, you can email us at truenorthnerds at gmail.com. Um, we'll see how this show goes. Maybe at some point we'll get our own social media. But right now we're firmly part of the True North Nerds network. So I hope you also listen to True North Nerds. That's the other podcast that I do with my husband, Brent, and our two friends, Kevin and Ryan. And we talk more about generic nerd stuff and comics and movie reviews. Um, I'm slowly pushing them more towards more female oriented stuff like i got them to watch all of the new shira on netflix but a lot of it tends to be more um i don't want to say male oriented but like more of the big blockbuster type stuff that's why i'm doing a sailor moon podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah so thanks again for listening and uh we'll see you next time
You've been listening to Sailor Snacking, a True North Nerds production. Theme music, Open Road, provided by PurplePlanet.com.